0: Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we find ourselves in the house of the Lord. And we could go home right now and we're encouraged to know who you are and what you want for our lives. And we pray, Father, that everything that you have destined for us to become, that we would become it with no loss. No subtraction, no distraction, no detour. Allow us to become the full measure of the representation of the kingdom upon the earth in our homes first, in our marriages. That our wives might know that she's married to a son of God, a, a man who has a father in heaven. And we're part of the family of God. That our family and our children, like, like Wellington was just saying, that his sons would know that he is a man of God by how he treats his wife and how he conducts himself at home in the priorities concerning the kingdom. We give you thanks for your spirit tonight that leads us to truth, that convinces us of sin, that reminds us of judgment, that gives us clarity of vision and purpose and conviction in our character, that we might choose the best things. We pray, O God, that you would make us excellence upon the earth, the salt that... um, comes against the corruption that's what salt does it it eliminates the decay the degenerate state of the affairs that are around us in our city amongst our children in our nation we pray that the church be the answer O oh god in our fervent love and fervent spirit and devotion and diligence to jesus christ that we not be part of the problem but we are part of the answer O oh god give us our heart of genuine faith simplicity and sincerity in seeking you and and presenting ourselves as living sacrifices with all our heart, mind, and soul, all our strength, tuned and in harmony with your spirit so that your glory might be seen upon the earth and men would run to you as they see the wisdom in this house. We give you thanks for every testimony and every expression of your grace through our lives. We know it's you and not us, Lord that is able to be more than conquerors and overcome the adversity and the anguish and the depression that's in this world because of darkness. They give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Um, as we were traveling, you never know why of things, but last week we heard Robert Morris. How many were here and... Uh, We understood how to be delivered from the spirit of the Chaldeans. A lot of you didn't even know what a Chaldean was until last week. Uh, A man called and said, should I come to church because I'm real busy with graduation? I said, if you don't want the Chaldeans to come after you, you better come. And so he came and he was able to see that the Chaldeans is the spirit of demons that dispossess you from what God wants to give you. That means everything that God wants to bestow upon you, there's spirits upon the earth that want to dispossess you. So we heard about the Chaldeans and incidentally, uh, sometimes you say, well, pastor promised we were going to be following Abraham and now we get into the Chaldeans. Well, if you go to back to where we left off from Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, and if you go to verse seven, you'll see there that God reminds Abraham, I am the God who brought you out of Ur. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the who of the Chaldeans. So it's really important that we knew what the atmosphere and the climate of where God pulled Abraham out of. And it's out of a sentiment in the climate upon the earth in a region where he lived that these people were there. Now, if you look in the exhaustive uh, definition of biblical terms, you'll find out that Chaldeans right next to it says uh, evil spirit or demons. So it actually says it like that. Um, And he says, I brought you out of that place to give you A land to inherit in a place where you were never going to have land, where you were never going to have promise. I got an inheritance for you and I pulled you out of that world. It was similar to touching the issue of the Egyptians and what the Egyptian mindset was and what the promised land is. In Egypt, you needed to work very hard and what you earned wasn't yours. And in the promised land, he says, I've got things prepared for you that you didn't work for, that you didn't cultivate. And it's my inheritance to you, a land you did not cultivate, cattle you did not uh, grow, uh, houses you did not build. God was going to do all things and he would be gracious to give us uh, a large inheritance. So here we see in the book of Daniel. We were seeing that when Daniel was taken captive along with the other young men that were taken captive in his time, um, we see that they were held in bondage. This is Daniel chapter 1. And uh, we're going to go to see that real quick. In verse 5. Daniel 1, 5. And it says, And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and the wine which he drank three years in training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. And this was the king of the Chaldeans. And for three years they would learn the ways of the Chaldeans. They would learn how to talk like them. They would have Chaldean names um, and all the sort. And so these... these uh, Friends of Daniel were put in that place. Uh, If we read verse 4, you'll see there also that they were kept for three years in training that they might learn. It says, a herald cried out, to you it is commanded, O peoples and nations and language. No, it's 1-4. Sorry, chapter 1-4. It says, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability... To serve in the king's palace, the Chaldeans king, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. So basically, this is what the world calls being streetwise. Trying to be uh, quick uh, in the ways of the world. Well, the ways of the world are destructive. They're after the, the Lord and the prince of the earth, which is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So we become very good at that as we're trained up in that, in that atmosphere. But there are people, going back to Genesis 15, verse 1, people that God calls out. Like he says, I called you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And when he calls them out, he's in the midst of the land, and God speaks to him these words. I, I want to say, I've never heard... An expression of the Lord that has been uh, grotesque um, of a nature of evil and wickedness. Uh, the, the, the word gospel is good news, good tidings. That means when God announces what he has prepared for you, it'll blow your thoughts away in great measure. It'll be so good, it'll sound like a fairy tale. Um, we were reading... And we're not going to go there now, but we were reading 2 Kings chapter 7. And the man of God says, Tomorrow, all provision of God is just going to be all over you. And an unbeliever was sitting there and he says, If there was a God in the heavens and he opened the windows, this might happen. But we know there's no God and there's no windows. So some people on the earth live like that there's no God and there's no windows. But there's some people that believe that there's a God, that there's a window. And there's there's things to do for the windows to open so that all heaven comes down upon the earth. There are people that believe that. Abraham was one of them. So the people that follow his track will will, uh, have genuine faith. And that's why we're trailing this man in this series. Uh, world-changing faith. And today is world-changing faith and rewards. So here it is. We already know what happened before. We're not going to go through those things in chapter 14. But in verse 15, the Lord appears to Abraham. And after these things, he says, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. And remember, when God speaks, he's about to show you a glimpse of some powerful provision at magnitudes that are going to blow you away. um, And and I just pray that when we come to church here, you're able to tune in to that provision for your life and for your family and for your children. Because you can speak these things into your children. And they'll have a glimpse of tomorrow based on what you see in the heavens. Now watch this. Um, Years ago, the Lord uh, woke me up at night and gave me uh, a word for, for a cousin of mine and uh he says go and call this cousin of yours and tell him these words so so he gave me what to tell my cousin and so i called my cousin the, the next morning and i said listen um let's meet for lunch because i got i got something to tell you and every time somebody in my family hears that i have something to tell them they start trembling and shaking because they know that god speaks they know he's real and so he started shaking on the phone and he he asked me this question is it good or bad i said brother every time god speaks is good Our confidence is that we have a good God, and he has good things for us. So he's not going to come ever. Uh, In fact, we were talking with a man that came to church uh, on Monday night, and he says, look, I'm listening to these things. And I said, don't receive that, because wherever there's fear, there's no faith. And wherever there's manipulation, that's not from God, because God comes with clarity and comes with peace and comes with good news and comes with refreshing encouragement and comfort. So that's the voice of our God. And so uh, I met for, with him for lunch and I just gave him the word of the Lord and, and he was happy and, and he took the advice and, and, and he started walking in the, after the manner of God's word. So, but here in chapter 15, in verse one, God speaks to Abraham. Uh, if, if God is not speaking to you, you have to be concerned. You have to be concerned because God speaks to everybody and you just need to tune in and And like I told my neighbor that one time, if God were going to speak to you, who would he speak through? And he says, you. God's going to speak to us through the people that are next to us that are close to God. And they're going to talk to us about God. In Isaiah 59, um, these people, the the people of God say, God, uh, why don't we hear your voice? And he says, listen, it's not me why you're not listening to my voice. Uh, There it is. In Isaiah 59, verse 1. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. God didn't run out of room that he can't reach you. His hand is is extended towards you. And remember this? It's a good hand, right? The word worship means kiss the hand that blesses you. A lot of people can't worship. They don't know what it is to be grateful when God blesses them to show appreciation. Um, And so here he says, The Lord's hand has not not reached you so that it cannot save and it's not that his he's hard of hearing that it cannot that his ear is heavy that it cannot hear well if God's hand could reach us and if his ears is listening then why can't we get it verse two he says the answer he says you have separated from your God the way you're living has separated you from your God you are distant. It's not that he doesn't have at and It's that you're not picking up the line. So he says, your ways of living, that word iniquities means you're doing your own thing. That has separated you from God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he's not in sight. He's not hearing. Um, and then it shows the reasons why you know, our acts are keeping him uh, dis- disconnected, we're disconnected from him, and not him from us. So that was the case there. Now going back to Abraham, um, and, and I want this Abraham not to be a story of something that happened six thousand years ago. I want this to be your story. I want this to be something that you are hearing the word of the Lord. And so Genesis fifteen verse one, as the after these things. The Lord spoke to Abraham and said these words. He said, uh, the Lord, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid. You remember we said nothing that, that striking fear in our hearts, concern. It's a confidence. Abraham, I'm here to protect you as a shield, and I'm, I'm going to blow you away with the things that I have for you, the things that I have prepared. And, and listen... Um, last night i had i had dinner with my nieces you, that's to me is a big treat and they want what god has for them um incidentally they want it now right so i want it now Theo. Theo, i want it now i said listen it's so huge we, we read last week that if god were to tell us we wouldn't even believe it if if 30 years ago the lord would have told me that i was going to be a lawyer and i was going to have my own firm and i was going to be a minister and change the world I was like, man, they're pulling my leg. So God cannot tell us the things that he's prepared us for because they're too huge. We wouldn't believe it. So day after day, they're being revealed through his spirit and through his goodness. And there it is. I want you tonight, since this already happened to Abraham and it's an example for us, I want you tonight to put your name there where it says, do not be afraid and then say your name. Do not be afraid, Omar. Do not be afraid, Nick. Do not be afraid, Chris. Do not be afraid, Mauricio. Do not be afraid, Sean. Do not be afraid, Jimmy. I got your back. I'm your shield. See, this, this gives us such a confidence, it's not even funny. Uh, when I was graduating from law school, all the kids were running around trying to find out what would happen next. And I was like, Psh, I'm going to the beach. I'm going to get a suntan. I'm going to relax. I've been studying too hard. And there at the beach, somebody had fallen off a jet ski. And it was a senior partner of a law firm downtown. And we saved his life. And he gave me a job on Monday. Without an interview, without a resume, without anything because God had my back. And he's a God that gives me time to come on Sunday and worship his goodness and his mercy and celebrate. It's a God that's constantly opening up the heavens towards us. And so tonight, I want you to put your name there and say, do not be afraid. I got your back. I'm your shield. And I got things prepared for you that you would not even come close to believing if they were revealed. Now, in front of this, the only thing I could do is fall to the ground and start worshiping God. The only thing I could do as a response of the goodness of God is what Paul says. He says, because God is exceedingly good and his mercy endures forever, and his love is, is, is huge. That the only thing I could do is contemplate. In other words, watch this. What is the expression of excellence of worship? Worship the response of acknowledging that God is good. Since he is incredible, since he's mighty, um, how do you praise and glorify his name? How do you magnify, make make him the topic of conversation and the air that you breathe of existence? His goodness in every shape and form. The Bible says knowing the width, the length, the depth, the the full measure of his love. How do you put that in measurable forms? So however you think it is, um, and these expressions is what... Is due. Um, it is the natural response of the immensity of his grace so atheists go around saying there is no God and the reason they do that is because if you acknowledge there's a God and he's done something you owe him big time so in order that they don't owe God anything there is no God and I don't have to kiss his hand I don't have to worship uh, the word we find worship in the New Testament as the Greek word nail," And that, that word means kiss that hand. Kiss that hand. And they said, we don't understand that word, kiss the hand that comes towards us. But they say, listen, it's what a dog does when his master gets home. By the time he's done, you are drenched. And all he's saying is, I love you. I can't live without you. I acknowledge that you are my master. And that's what the word worship means. So it doesn't mean an absence of acknowledgement. Listen to me. They did not compare worship to how cats respond. Who are you? You live here because of me. I feed you. I take you out. But they they have no return of affection, of acknowledgement. There's nothing worse in the kingdom to be a cold cat. Okay? Okay. Okay, so here it is. What do you think would be the response of Abraham when God opens up the heaven and he says, Have my peace, be still, fear not, and what I have for you is I'm your shield, and I have everything prepared at levels you wouldn't believe? What would you think would be the response? I you, you, this is I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you before I ask you because this is a catch twenty-two. That means you're in a lot of trouble. Because instead of us having excellence of worship, we go around going, oh, this stuff is this is weird. This is I mean what do they expect for us to go around going to church all the time? And, listen, the vast expanse of his grace and goodness upon your life is that you would be on your face 24-7. The Bible says, give thanks to God always. Always. To be in a state of rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There would be no motive uh, for any disturbance, turbulence, in that expression of peace. Now, verse 2, here it is. It's arrived, his response to what God has just told him. And 99.9% of the time, this is our response. But Abraham, instead of him saying, Lord, you're too good. You're too merciful. I just won't even speak again the rest of my life because just, you've, just, you've, you've given me what I was looking for. He says, Lord, what will you give me seeing I don't have a child and the only thing I have is this guy who lives in my house who's gonna inherit everything called the laser of Damascus, my servant. If you haven't recognized it yet, this is thinking, thinking. This is a dysfunctional dude. This is a guy who can't acknowledge the vast expanse of the expression of God's goodness in his life, and he is not corresponding or responding in a manner that is beneficial to his relationship with God. Um, The expression used amongst the Americans since we live in this country, and they say this guy is biting the hand that feeds you. His lifeline to this single man in the middle of the desert going nowhere is a God who's on his side, who's gonna take care of business. And his, our sinful nature does not allow us to be the people who receive the goodness of the Lord. Our stinking thinking and our approach to an open heart, and Paul used to say this, the more I open my heart towards you, the more your heart is closed towards me. The more I love you, the more I'm despised. And, and, and that's dysfunctional. It's not supposed to work that way. So he is complaining. I don't know if you figured that out yet. He is hearing about the great rewards of a life of faith, of walking with God. And it's going to get worse, people. It's going to get worse. Because now this guy is going to throw a pity party. And he's going to say, God, remember all the things that I have done. Remember that... Let's go. Let's go continue. Verse 3. Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. I don't know if you call that an accusation. He's calling God on the lapse of what is missing and not in the abundance of what he has just heard and received. Um, I've, I've, I've heard uh, people say, oh, I can't believe. I was sick. And... Nobody brought me soup. I said, but did they visit you? Yeah, they visited me. Yeah, but they didn't bring me soup. And so it doesn't matter how much you do for a person. When they're going to sit there and complain and find out what's wrong, they're going to they're unleash it. They're going to bring this out of their rotten, stinking heart. They're always looking at what they're not getting. It happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. The devil is able to use this to strip them of all their glory. God had put them in paradise in the middle of a vast expanse of huge provision. And they said, look, you don't like us because you don't let us eat off of this tree. Do you guys know anybody like that? That they're hanging on to one thing? I call that uh, the syndrome of the Pharisees. They were straining the gnat, swallowing the camel. They've just eaten the whole camel. It's like the goodness of God's provision. And they're saying, look at this and that here. And and this is causing my stumbling. That's why I have a pity party. That's why I'm not going forward. That's why I'm bothered. And they haven't yet realized what God has done. So he's saying, look, you haven't given me an offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Um, I don't have it the way that I perceive it. It's very funny that... When we're stuck on ourselves, we get very, very twisted in our thinking. That's why we always revisit James 3:16. That wherever there's selfishness, self-centeredness, wherever you're looking in your little pea in the pod, that's where Satan gets to look for you to look at so that he can manifest the desperate wickedness of the devil upon the earth. Where there's envy and self-seeking exists, where self-centeredness, the the sickest people upon the earth are selfish people. I I could say that uh, they carry all the infirmities of our fallen nature, confusion, chaos, every evil thing are there where there's selfishness. That's, That's why the greatest gift that we Christians have is a cross. Because we get to deny ourselves and I say this, say say this to your neighbor, see if it comes out of your mouth. It's not about me. It's not about me. Oh, that hurts. Well, if I don't take care of me, then who's going to take care of me? And God has said, He has your back and he has your future. He has your past, he has your future, he has it all. And and so we're stuck on this thing going back to verse 5. And God has to take Abraham outside of himself. The Bible says in Genesis 15 and verse 5, he says he brought him, he brought him outside and he said, begin to look toward heaven. It, when we're in the flesh and we're carnal people, we read the Bible in the flesh. So one day our sister Clarita is in Jerusalem with her husband who's a doctor. He takes her there on vacation. And she's seen the new Jerusalem. She goes, out to the, her, she goes out to her apartment balcony. And she saw the heavens open. And she saw the glory of God. She's like, God, you're being so good to me. And she says to her husband, who was not a Christian, who didn't come to the Lord. Come, come and look. Look at the glory. And he came out and he says, I just see a bunch of clouds. And he went back inside all bitter. When you... Don't know how to see heaven. It should be your concern. Because you are portraying to those around you the desperate depth of darkness. Your description about what's going on has no God in it. It has no refuge. It has no provision, no reward. And so God has to take them out and tell him, look, toward, look now toward heaven. And begin to count the stars if you're able to number them. Uh, they tried to do that scientifically um, at the beginning of, of the 19th century. And they said, we can't number them. Let's multiply them. Let's calculate them. Let's, they couldn't count them. They, they had to take regions and say, okay, there has to be 100 million. hundred. They were innumerable. You cannot count the number of the stars. And this is what God says he has prepared for us. Descriptions of the like that you cannot even come close to being able to see. And how stripped are we in our fallen, um, worried nature? And we're looking for the next rent payment and the next mortgage payment, the next car payment. And the devil has us going nuts, drowning in, in a glass, uh, because we refuse to begin to look up to the heavens and began to contemplate the goodness of God. And he reminds us, just like what you are seeing, so shall be your future. So shall be your descendants. So are the plans that I have. And and there's no greater peace in our lives than to know that God has our back and he has our future. And I thank God um, there, that God presses a little bit more upon him but not before in verse six, and this is where I want you to be tonight after we leave this place. The Bible says in verse six that Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. In other words, he got matters straight and aligned himself up with what God was saying and promising and not falling out of that provision. He believed and he was accredited righteousness. That means God gave him a thumbs up his provision is coming, what God has planned was going to take place. And God reminds him in verse seven, when he says, then he said to him, remember, I am the Lord and I am sovereign and mighty to bring you out of your mess back where you came from in Ur of the Chaldeans. When you were all surrounded by the sick, poor, stupid ignorant, rebellious, disobedient existence in this world without God, I brought you out of that place. And now you are having a relationship with me. And, and Abraham was truly honoring the God of heaven. That's why he became the father of faith. He became the man who would honor God. Even when the kings of Sodom says, hey, let's strike a deal. Let's have an allegiance. Let's be strong upon the earth. He says, not even a, a thread from your sandal. You're not going to help my walk to prosperity you're not going to be part of my plan to get to where God is leading me because I have my hand raised. If you guys missed that, Genesis 14, I think it's verse 23. He says, I have my hand raised up. Genesis 14, 23. Uh, Let's go to 22. He says, Abraham said to the king, I've raised my hand to the Lord. He's the most high God he possesses everything in heaven and on earth verse 23 so not even a, a, a strap from your sandal i will take anything i will not take anything that is yours lest you say i made abraham prosperous i'm the one that blessed him so that he has a future um, and god is saying there in genesis fifteen-seven, abraham go back to the time that you were a big zero with nothing in sight for a future the best you could hope is the future your parents had given you that were living in a place where the chaldeans were ruling Um, as we are seeing this i want you to lift up your eyes to the heavens tonight and really say god you're my blessing you're my prosperity you have poured it out even when I think it's world or worldly connections, it's you having extended your mercy and you are the ones that have grant me the victories. Now, we sit in good company with people that always uh, ask, you know, I, I was saying that to one of the gentlemen that was uh, uh, going to lunch with me yesterday. Um, he says, Pastor, is it normal to still have sinister thoughts like when you were in the world to not trust God? Like your, your mind plays games on you that, you know, um, God's not being fair. You know, why would God do this? Because we were, we we're talking on, on Monday night here. The men's meeting was amazing on Monday night. And we we're talking about a guy who goes to see the prophet. And the prophet tells him, tell the king that he's going to live, but he's really going to die. And the guy who's asking for the information is saying, Why would the prophet say that? Well, the thing is that he wasn't going to die from the infirmity he had. He was going to die because the guy that was asking was going to kill him. And so as the prophet is saying, tell him he's not going to die of that condition, but that he's going to live, but he's really going to die. He was seeing that the guy who was asking had a murderous plot the next day. And so in all these ways, um, he says, when I saw that, I said, God's not fair because why would he have the prophet lie? And, and, and sometimes we want to get streetwise with God. And we want to say, you, you say you're going to bless me and you say you have a reward for me and you got my back. Well, then where's my kid? Where's my inheritance, my, the descendants? Why are you playing phony on me? Years ago, our drummer, Javier, uh, when we met and he was in our youth group, his stepfather um, had a domestic violence situation and went to the community college and killed his mom. And the stepfather murdered that woman, shot her in the head, shot her in the heart. And, and Javier was going to our youth group. And he came that night. He's 19 years old at the time. And he came and, and he has this look on his face like, I don't get it. How come if my mom was a Christian and I'm a Christian and we call ourselves Christians, why would God allow this to happen? And I didn't have an answer for him, but I did tell him, don't let the devil play mind games with you. Don't don't let the devil give you arguments against God because it'll only serve to destroy you. So his natural response, and this was even before I talked to him, his natural response that day when he saw his mom on the ground at the parking lot of the college and the yellow police lines, and his mom was covered, he said, thank you, Jesus. What he was saying is, I trust you, God. I don't understand, and I don't see things right, but I don't want to allow the devil to come in my life and twist my thoughts into knots so that I don't trust God and that I can't get to know him. So the same thing was happening there, um, and we're in good company because almost, almost all the prophets, um, if you go to, I think it's First Kings, um, you know something? I had a 19... I had, I have notes everywhere. Let's go to, to I don't know where I put it. Um, I had a post-it note up here. Is it? Thank you. There it is, 19 verse 14. Uh, one, of the, one of the prophets is running for his life in this verse. And look at, look at his sob story. And maybe you have a sob story too. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. I've been faithful, God. I even go to church twice a week. Because the children of God. Then we start talking about what other people are doing. Because the children of God have forsaken your covenant. There's Christians that don't even go to church on Wednesday. I go to church on Wednesday, God. And so you start arguing with the Lord. Uh, uh, They have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars. They, They don't even sacrifice anymore. They killed your prophets. They don't listen with the sword. I alone... Am left and they seek to take my life. Um, this is one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, Elijah. And the man is throwing a pity party right about now. So you're in good company. Abraham is in good company. This is the tendency of our sinful nature. It's part of our faith and walk. It's turbulence. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat. If you're driving a boat and you're in the ocean, or if you're on an airplane, the wind currents are bumping. The, 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 the water is, but you don't, you don't lose your course because there's bumps in the road. You don't stop your destination because there's turbulence or uh, uh, water currents. You continue to navigate because you're destined to the purpose of God. And so here, these things are very dangerous. I, listen, if you ever say these words, you got to be very concerned. I alone Nobody understands my predicament. My situation is so special that I'm justified in my attitude. That's what he was saying. And they seek to take my life. And God wakes him up to a reality in verse 18. What is God's reality in verse 18? He says, hey, by the way, Elijah, I have 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed their knees to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. I have people that are not worshiping anybody but me. So get out of your pity party, because there's people that have worse situations, and they're going on with God. They're not throwing the towel. They're not throwing a pity party. They're um, to your sad predicament. They are solid and going forward. So that, that is an example there, and we and we don't want to, we don't want to navigate those waters. In Matthew nineteen twenty seven, uh, the Lord is telling. Um, what people are going to have and not have concerned, uh, concerning their Christian faith and walk. And Peter answered, Peter's always one to open his mouth and stick his foot in it, said to him, see, Lord, we have left all things and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? In other words, you owe us. What we're doing for you, how we live, how we worship, how we serve, how we're your disciples—what is our reward? What is our uh, what? What are we going to get for this? Um, these things, just so that you know, are these men. I believe they're in the Bible. These things are in the Scripture for our learning. How many? Thank God. We're seeing this stuff that's real in our lives. And so we're seeing it in Abraham's life. He's just got the huge, great news of everything God has for him. So he doesn't have to worry. And he's blaming God. Like, you're not fair and what you're talking is baloney. I don't believe you. So that, that could have the possibility of forfeiting him in the race. He throws the towel. He quits. He's not going to inherit. Um, here, Peter is saying, look at everything we've left and we still don't have. I mean, come on, Lord. I've been waiting for a whole week and you still haven't answered, you still haven't shown up, you still, you're still not there for me. You, you don't have my back. These things are called silent complaints. Sometimes they, they're just in our thoughts. They're in our hearts. We never told even our wife or our children. We don't tell the pastor. We don't tell the church. But we have something lodged in our spirit. If I'm who I am and I do what I do, I shouldn't be living what I'm living and going through what I'm going through. And I really am not on fully with you. I'm not on board with what you have for my life. And this soft, I I read the the definition in the dictionary, it says a soft, indistinct sound made by a person uh, quietly at a distance, A, a complaint. Listen, uh, from that thought that rises up in our heart that it's not fair what's going on in my life, I don't understand what's going on, why you did this, how it happened. I don't believe that you have any good intentions with me. Uh, You have the far extreme uh, of Job chapter 2 verse 9 and his wife becomes his loud murmuring saying, why don't you curse God and die? Could, could you agree with me that if we let these thoughts that question God carry on the storm, they'll grow up at that level and we'll hold a finger out to God saying you're not fair, you're not righteous, you're not good, you don't have a future. And so that big finger comes up and you know what that makes you do? It makes you run from God. And you'll never see what God had for you because the devil threw a seed of murmuring. And so here is the full expression of that in this woman's life. But listen, listen to her husband in Job 1.20. As he began to receive news of his loss and his devastation, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. Verse 21. As this occurred, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. I didn't come here with anything. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, this man has a level of, I trust God's hand. I don't understand it. I don't know why, but he's been a good God. And I came here with nothing, and I plan to leave with nothing, and blessed be his name. So the Bible says in verse 22 that through all of these things, Job did not sin, nor did he accuse God that he had done anything wrong. Job chapter 2 verse uh, 10 He responds to his wife, but he said to her, You speak as a foolish woman speaks. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept all the goodness from God? And shall we not accept adversity, setbacks, difficulties? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. I want to take us there. I want to take us there because I believe that what God has for us is huge. And I don't want anybody to miss out because these things are of our sinful nature and they just bubble up to the surface. And sometimes I, feel, I, I hear myself thinking and, and see myself reasoning. I say, really, God, change the world? Change the world, God, really? Like, have you been seeing 17 years of what changing the world looks like? It's been insane. But those vo- voices do not drown the large voice that knows the faithfulness of God that knows how God took us out of Ur of the Chaldeans and how God called us out and he's given us victories and he's been mighty and strong and he is our shield and our exceedingly great reward. And faith has filled our hearts more than fear. We believe God more than we don't believe God. Uh, I told that to a friend of mine. He's a pastor. Um, he is a wild pastor and, um, Some people ask me why do you hang out with that guy he's he's like weird i said because i like him more than i don't like him (laughs) he has more favorable points in serving god than the foolish stuff he does that is not probably to my liking so i even told him uh, we went to dinner one time with my wife and when we get to the restaurant he's drinking a beer And so he looks at me, he goes, Joaquin, you're not one of those pastors that say pastors can't drink beers, right? I said, no, I'm one of those pastors that don't have to drink a beer to say that I could be a pastor that could drink a beer. You didn't get that. Okay, that's fine. Um, I'm not going to say it again. Let's line ourselves up with God so that in our hearts we squelch. Um, when you got a CB radio receiver, there's a, 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 is it squelch? Those guys that know squelch? There's a button on there that usually if that button doesn't exist, you're hearing this. You're hearing shh, sh- breaker, breaker, shh. Sh- and when you turn the squelch button, it eliminates all that busy noise that doesn't let you hear the other side. So what I'm saying tonight, let's squelch the murmuring voice that said God you don't have my back, you don't have a future, I am full of fear, I have no reason not to be. Let's get that out of our lives. Why? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 10, that that was the attitude that the people of Israel had in the desert. 1 Corinthians 10, 10 said, do not be a complainer as some of them complained and as a result of their complaining, they were destroyed by the destroyer. What does this mean? When bad things are taking place, don't sit there and look at the bad things and say, God's not in this and there's darkness. Turn yourself over to God and begin to glorify and praise that this thing is about to get his head cut off. Because mighty is our God. Mighty are his promises. He's not a liar that he would lie. He's not into fanciful uh, speaking things for the sake of speaking. And so the Bible says that in the desert, as they left Egypt to go into promised land, some of them began to complain. And what happened as a result of their complaining is that the devil took advantage and brought complete destruction. So sometimes here at the church we say, well, I don't like whatever it is that you don't like. And so, and they leave. And guess what? For this little thing... They lost a big thing. And they're out there in the middle of darkness, desperation, without family, without support, without faith, without encouragement. They're swimming in the oceans of darkness and desperation because they were complaining about a drop that was probably inappropriate. Verse 11 says, this happened to them as... All these things happen to the people of Israel as examples. And they're written here in the Bible for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. Uh, The Bible knows we needed these words. Uh, The Lord knew we needed this uh, word tonight. Um, Many times when we hear what's going on in other places in John 21, 18. Again, uh, Peter uh, opens his mouth and sticks his foot in his mouth. Um, The Lord is telling Peter, your life, most assuredly I say to you, when you were young, you girded yourself, and you did what you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will lead you and carry you where you do not wish. Verse 19, this the Lord was saying, uh, he spoke signifying what type of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Verse 20, and Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following um, and who also had leaned upon his breast at the supper and said, Lord, how about this guy? How about who is, who is the one who betrays you? Verse 21, Peter said to him, uh, said to Je- Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? What, what about John? You know, uh, is he going to get something more than me? Is he going to uh, have his prayers answered faster than me? And the Lord tells him this, this question, he, this answer. He says, Jesus said to him, if I will that he live forever till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. That eliminates comparison. Well, you answered this person, and she's married now, and I'm still not married. You answered this person, he got a job, and look, he bought a house, and he has to have a car, and, and you, and how about me? And all those little nitpicking arguments could destroy your faith walk, could destroy everything God has for you. I've seen it happen so many times before. Uh, Young girls who who says God's not gonna show up on my behalf and they run to the Chaldeans and now they're serving in Babylon in confusion. They're serving in in, in really messed up scenarios because it all began with a a little grumbling. In Exodus 16, verse 3, we see a little bit of Israel. They had been taken out of Egypt and were being brought to the promised land. And in the journey, Exodus 16, 3, the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. It would have been better that we never knew God, that we would have stayed in the world, that God would have killed us all, than have to live this grueling life to wait for the promised land. To have to wait this grueling life of waiting upon God's shield and, and miracles and reward. We had better died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. We, when we sat by the pots of meat. When we ate bread to the full. Man, when we were slaves eating grub. They're saying there was the perfect paradise. And they were painting in their, in their complaint and in their argument. They said like this. Our life before Jesus... And before becoming a world changer was much better. We did whatever we want. We could go wherever. We didn't have to have this hassle. And there, for you have brought us out into this wilderness. They they considered a place where God was dropping from the heavens everything they needed. Um, You brought us to this desert to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You're going to starve us to death. How many think that that is a grotesque illustration? Of what God does. Uh, tonight, I was asking one of the youth to help me out with my sermon, and he says, Pastor, I want to remind you of the greatest suffering that ever took place in the people of Israel was during Nazi Germany. Right before this horrendous act of the Holocaust, the Jewish people had forgotten God. They decided not to worship Him or not to kiss His hand. And they decided they didn't need God. They didn't need the promised land. And they began to act like God did not exist. Well, uh, such a horrendous darkness fell upon them. It was a horrible slaughter that began the nation of Israel. At their darkest moment became their badge of honor and identity. They began to become so close in their affection for one another that they started their nation. They went back to Israel and they started forming out of the desperate wickedness that befell them. Now they had a level of national pride um, and only until the worst of their nightmares. Trusting God in our darkest hour becomes the birthplace and the springing of the things that God has for us. The promise is in Job chapter 5 verse 20. In a desperate famine, he shall redeem you from death. I often, uh, let's go to Job 520. I often look around my life and I begin to measure darkness. I don't know if you know how to do that. A time where uh, you can't see with clarity, a time that you're insecure, uncertainty, where uh, you don't have the the support or the encouragement or the words or the hands. You, You don't see this stuff. And I always say, I've learned from men of God that these are only prophetic announcements of coming glory. He will turn your ashes into a place of great glory. He will turn your mourning into dancing. From tears, you will return with laughter. So it is these times of deep darkness that we can see the greatest redemption. He shall redeem you from death and in war, at adversity, the power of the sword. He'll show you his strength. Psalm thirty-seven nineteen says like this. It says, the Lord knows the days of the upright. How many knows that, that God has a measure of days he's given you? And he has to accomplish his great promises over your life during the period of time that you have upon the earth. So you know that his glory is coming. You know his promises to be fulfilled. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time because in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. In the days where you're not seeing promises fulfilled, get ready because they're coming. And this journey and time is called faith, that we inherit the promises of God. Let's stand tonight and and make it your, uh, your heart's expression tonight that God has been good with you, allowing you to come here tonight and hear again that He is the source Of every good and perfect outpouring from heaven. Now make sure you're connected. Make sure you're not distant. Make sure your murmuring doesn't become a loud murmuring. Because at that point. The devil has advantage. The devil has. Upper hand in your life. And makes you make decisions without God. Without his word. Without his spirit. Without his grace. And that is a very. Very. Uh, dark place to be as the musicians come forward can you bow your heads and close your eyes and thank the lord tonight and allow your thankfulness to be louder than your questioning his goodness and accusing him seeing i have no offspring seeing i have no fruit seeing i have i've invested i've poured in i've sold myself out and and still what you say about my life i can't see even a glimpse of hope and so god takes you and puts you in a place where you could hear from heaven like tonight come outside and look at the stars if you could count them from the time this service started tonight if you can count how many times god has thrown you a lifeline you'll know how much you're precious in his eyes how much love is disp- uh, is bestowed upon you and every time i run into that darkness and, and place of confusion I always look at the cross and I say that is sufficient. If you don't do anything else but what you did in Christ, I, I'm i satisfied, I'm quieted, I don't have a complaint because I was going to death, I was going to hell, I was going to be eternally lost and at that point you cared for me when I didn't even know you. How much more now that we have that on our side. We've seen his goodness. As we sing this song, um, you talk to the Lord now. And then I'm going to pray so that we leave this place headed uh, for open heavens and purposes that you're going to remember this sermon for the rest of your life. And you're going to say, Pastor, that night I decided to go to Wednesday night is the day that I stopped questioning. I stopped putting stuff before God that was disturbing me attaining the things that he had for me.